0: This podcast is produced by Northwest Michigan Community Action Agency. The Collective Us, an NMCAA podcast, focuses on inspiring you through stories of those we've helped through our programming or by linking local resources to community members in need. Join us as we learn about the programs offered through NMCAA and how
1: we touch people's lives every day. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Collective Us, and NMCAA podcast. We are so happy you're here. I'm Ryan Buck.
0: And I'm Erica Austin. How are you doing, Ryan?
1: To not coin a phrase, today is a good day. And hey, you know what? Today we're talking with NMCAA's Child and Family Development Department about Children's Awareness Month.
0: That's right. And our guests today are Drew O'Connor, Education Coach Manager and Jen Rubinus, lead GSRP Head Start teacher with Adam CAA. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you.
2: So nice to be here.
0: Drew, before we dive in too deep, can you first touch on some of the programs that NMCAA's Child and Family Development Department has to offer in the Northwest Michigan community?
2: Yes, definitely. We have a couple different options for families. We do service pregnant moms, infants, children, and their families. And so we currently have direct-operated classrooms that we have throughout our 10 counties. So these are preschool-based classrooms. And We also have some collaborative centers that we work with. We have 10 of those right now throughout our 10 counties. We also have some early Head Start collaborative centers that we have. And then we also have a home-based program where we have home visitors go directly into the homes and work with the pregnant moms and infants and toddlers.
0: A wide variety.
1: (laughs) Again, very inspiring. The human touch. But now that we know a little bit about NMCAA's child and family development programs in general, Erica, can you provide the listeners with a little rundown on the importance of Children's Awareness Month?
0: Yeah, of course. Okay. So originally this month was founded in loving memory of children who died violent deaths in America, but it's evolved into something much bigger. This month now focuses on a generation of leaders who will pave the way for our future and has become time to spend nurturing and cultivating the joys and treasures of childhood. Childhood is a stage in life that sets the course for our overall social, emotional, and physical health, as well as economic circumstances. In fact, young children at the beginning of their learning stage who receive high-quality education see tremendous dividends for the rest of their lives. This includes higher academic performance in later stages, increased chances of attending college, and higher lifetime earnings. This month aims to encourage support and educate children while prioritizing their health and well-being. So Jen, as a teacher relating back to Children's Awareness Month, what do you find is the single most important part of teaching a young child? I think
3: when you have children enter your classroom, you look at them as an individual, that each child is bringing something different into the classroom. So watching them navigate our day and learn how to be leaders and learn how to work on problems with other students or even with a teacher. But watching them each as an individual child is the most important thing.
1: Seeing them as individuals, the little individual people, I think that's fascinating because what NMCAA does is relate to everybody as a human, mm-hmm. as a human being, and they're taken care of. And in talking about the programs offered through NMCAA, I want to point out that our guests together have over 45 years experience with an <laughs> MCAA. There's pride in the room. I'm feeling there was a, like I'm almost fist bump there. <laughs> and this is helping hundreds, if not thousands of kids. And there have to be a lot of stories. But can you maybe together and mind meld, think of an instance where you've seen a child who have, may have had a tougher start but was thriving at the end or maybe even you know saw them through further education.
3: So, I think if I can use a child maybe even this year. We started a new program this year in our classroom, so we're doing a collaborative program with the ISD. So, we are including children in our program that may need a little extra services, so some OT, some speech. So, we have a special ed provider in our classroom this year and What that means is we have kids that are your regular developing children, and then you have your other children that just need a little extra support. And this year, we had a little girl who may not have a lot of language, very nonverbal. She didn't speak a lot. And to watch the other children in our room become like her advocate, her voice in the classroom, it uh, it was pretty amazing. So to see each kid individually, like I said in the beginning, to watch these children take on more of that leadership role of how they can help support these children, only will give them tools when they're older in life to really see each person and help support them. And so that was a big thing for me this year. And mm-hmm. I mean, I know I have a lot of other stories about children. With being in Traverse Heights, I get to see the children go through, like, fifth grade. So I have kids come back to me, and they can tell me stories of when they were in the preschool classroom, but to watch them navigate through the school year and become individuals in the building, too, is pretty awesome.
1: There's clearly a a community that you're fostering of support for one another. I think one of the more inspiring things that I've heard in a long time was the young people supporting each other Mm -hmm. and not making that person feel less than or feel isolated.
2: Yeah, We really embrace the family in our program. So we are working with that preschool child in the classroom, but also looking at how can we help the family and educate the family so that that learning continues at home. And so... We have so many success stories with the children, for sure, but then also those success stories with the families and helping them grow and understand their child and how they can keep that learning growing. Yeah. So lots of stories out there throughout the 10 counties.
0: That's amazing. I love how just a couple minutes ago you were talking about the children as individuals. And you think of, you know, I'm a mom of young kids. And so thinking that sending them off to school when they're so little and then, you know, the teacher really truly embraces that they have their own individuality is amazing. Yeah, that's a great point. It's just that makes my heart warm. So, Jen, you've been with NMCAA for 18 years, I think, if that's yeah. correct, and lead teacher for over 13 years. Mm-hmm. Surely you have a knack for what you do. You've already expressed emotion in that. But you sent me and Ryan a bio, and you gave credit to Drew and your first supervisor, Sheila Nash, for seeing your potential and believing in you. Was being a preschool teacher not in the original plan? No, I always
3: wanted to work with children. Being a young parent myself and having experiences of my own childhood in school, I had a teacher after my dad passed away. That kind of took me under her wing and taught me and gave me some tools that I needed. But growing up, learning how to navigate life and not having a lot of support, when I joined the agency, Drew was the very first person that sat across the table from me and taught me about NMCA and what it is to be an assistant teacher and what that looks like in the different expectations. And then Sheila was my supervisor. And I think she saw something in me that maybe I hadn't seen in myself. I always wanted to be a lead teacher, but never really went for it. So Mm -hmm. when we moved up here, my husband had to go back to school first. So he took on that role of being in school while I, we have two young children. And so I was able to be an assistant. And then when he was done, I was able to go back and become a lead teacher. And I haven't looked back since and I love what I do. I love to celebrate what we do as teachers because I don't think we get to do it enough. So yes, I always wanted to be a teacher, but I really never had that person saying, you can do this, but you have to do this other thing first.
0: Yeah. Drew, how does that feel knowing that she gives you credit?
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's very heartwarming and that's one of the Beauties of our program is that we see the potential. We have ways that we can individualize not only for children but for our staff and help them on that education journey and give them the encouragement that they need and the opportunities, the training. We have some funds to help with college. So we, you know, really embrace our staff and want to make sure we're doing everything that we can to support them and help them be the best teacher or family service worker that they can be. So it's inspiring to hear her share that story and very touching.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Jen, you also put in your bio, um, you know, you gave us a whole bunch of information that I'm not going to share unless you want to (laughs) share. You know, you talked about your dad passing away at a a young age and that you were a young mother. So I think it's really interesting that you have a lot of experiences that can really help some of these younger children or their families get through tough situations because you've been there. Can you kind of talk about anything that maybe kind of relates to some of the children? Or do you have experiences that you can talk about? Well, I
3: think like one of my most important things is also talking about children being individual, but each person is an individual. So someone else might have experienced a death and it just is not the same. So every experience is different. And so I think when we can talk to people and really... One of my biggest goals as a teacher, and like Drew said, we go into the homes also. We do home visits with these families. So really seeing where these children are coming from and starting at a base level that those parents feel supported. We don't want to set goals for them that are too high to attain. We want to start simple and build on those goals so they can say, oh, look, I reached that goal. Oh, now I'm reaching this goal. It's the same as a child in the classroom. We want to set those goals where they can... Attain them.
0: Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yeah. So, like I said, I'm a mom of young children. My son's four, my daughter's 18 months, and I would love for my kids to have the opportunity to take advantage of these Head Start and GSRP programs. I know how wonderful they are. Unfortunately, and fortunately for my family, I don't qualify. So, with that being said, I know there are various levels of eligibility for the programs offered. Drew, can you tell us what some of those eligibility markers are and what's the most challenging part about those?
2: Mm-hmm. This is a great question, and we probably could be here for a couple hours talking about <laughs> uh, this piece. It knew is. This a, would be a good one. Yeah, yeah, it is a challenge in our program because the program is income based. Both the Head Start and GSRP. Head Start is at the 100% poverty guideline, and the GSRP is at the 250%. Could we acronym guideline.
1: here? Do you want a GSRP acronym?
2: Oh G- yes. GSRP stands for Great. Start Readiness Program. Yes. Great Start Readiness yep. Program. Excellent. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. Yes, we love our acronyms in our program. <laughs> it's been, so it's, it's been organically coming up. I know. It's yeah. been a
0: continuing theme throughout our whole podcast. So
2: It is. And sometimes we stumble over what the actual words <laughs> yeah. are because we use that acronym yeah. so much. <laughs> True. So, <laughs> so our programs are income-based. And then there are different levels that families can qualify. And so we do have... A little list of these, like if our families receive the SSI or – okay, there I go again. Okay. (laughs) The Supplemental Security Income or the Family Independence Program, the FIP program. Mm -hmm. And then the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP, is one of the newer ones that has made many families eligible. We also look at the homeless piece for the families and if a child's in foster care. So there's many – I don't want to say many, but there are other opportunities for families to qualify. And so we want to make sure that families don't look at this as a barrier for them to get into the program. We encourage every family to go to our website, scroll down to that early childhood piece, and then there's a little link there, and they would fill out a pre-application. And so that just gets the whole process started. Our staff are able to call the family within 10 days, it says online, (laughs) and make an appointment with that family and then fill out the application and go through that whole process. And a lot of times families are very pleased that they qualify and can start with the program.
1: So whether you think you may qualify or not, Mm. even if you have a question, Please reach out. Absolutely, right? yep. it it doesn't hurt anybody on your end mm-hmm. to field that question and take care of that person. Yeah, at least get them on the path.
2: Absolutely, it starts by filling out that pre-application. And if a family doesn't have the resources to fill out that pre-application, they can always call our agency, and our staff will one hundred
1: percent. Is that one of them. the barriers that you see when maybe the minutia of the details mm-hmm. or it? It may be legalese. Mm -hmm. It's so barriers, eliminating barriers and trying to tell potential guests, clients, please reach out. We will get through the barriers. It doesn't matter.
2: 100% because it is, you know, Head Start is a federally funded program, GSRP is a state funded program. So there is a lot of paperwork, a lot of documents that come along with signing up for the program, but we are there to help and provide assistance in any way so that that isn't a barrier for the families.
0: Yeah. So I said like last year, I tried to get my son into Head Start Mm -hmm. and we didn't qualify, Mm -hmm. but I have already done the GSRP one for this coming year. So we'll see how that goes. I know Class selection yeah. is typically in the summer, so we it still is. are yet to find out whether or not he's been selected. So that's exciting. But that applying is fairly simple. I mean, you just fill out the quick form. Good. And then also, I sat down with one of our, I guess, I don't know what the title of... Recruitment and rec- health
2: specialist. Okay.
0: So I sat down yeah. with one of them and... Um, yeah. And we went through the whole thing and you know, they ask all the somewhat personal, but also, you Mm -hmm. know, they're the questions I need to ask to get Mm -hmm. to know your family. And it was very easy. Very easy to sit down and do all that. So just if you're listening and you're interested in doing that, I can vouch it's it's not difficult at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean this is personal account. Exactly. It doesn't get better than that. Yeah. I did just do this, yeah, a couple months ago. That's incredible. So (laughs) yeah.
1: Drew, you come to NMCAA With a bachelor's in preschool education, Mm -hmm. master's in early childhood education. Mm -hmm. That's a lot to take in. Yeah. So I'd call that qualified. (laughs) (laughs) But you have a unique position, Mm -hmm. shall we say. So can you tell us a little bit more about the position and how you literally support these children in the classroom?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I currently work with five education coaches that work with the teachers in the field. So each coach has approximately six to eight teachers that they work with and provide support in that whole school readiness piece, the curriculum piece, the assessment that we do on the children to make sure that the children are receiving an individualized, developmentally appropriate preschool experience and that our environments are rich with lots of learning materials and activities for the children to do. The coaches do observations on a monthly basis that focus on relationships and really that higher level thinking, building those skills in the children, and provide feedback for the teachers and are just there to support in any way. If the teacher is saying, boy, I know that my math scores are a little bit lower with my kids in the assessment, I'm not sure what to do, then the coach is there to help provide some trainings, resources that will help that teacher in that area. So anything that we can do, because our teachers work hard. They have really big jobs. They wear many different hats. It's not just working with the children. And so when we can provide the support to help them feel successful, that's going to trickle down to the children and help them feel Successful and become lifelong learners.
1: That's inspiring mm-hmm. because yeah. that answer could have been more bureaucratic, <laughs> right? Sure. But sure. within the framework of NMCAA, an organization really doing things, it sounded very relatable. And this is how the students are positively affected. Yeah. You're you're doing what you went to school for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the dream? Yeah. Initially, and now does it match your reality?
2: Yeah. My father was in the education field. He was a teacher and then became a high school counselor. And education was just always a part of my life. Like, I grew up in the school district. We were there on the weekends. And I mean, I was just, the school was the center of my life. So when I went So you were the coolest kid in school, right? Yeah. I don't know all that. Um, We all know. (laughs) But I just knew that I wanted to go in the the education field and not sure exactly what route I wanted to go. But- started taking early childhood classes and it just clicked. I'm like, this feels natural. It feels like this is what I want to do. And then when I graduated, we moved to Traverse City shortly after that. And I got a job working in a daycare center for a little while. And it was amazing working with the children and the families and seeing their growth and Everything like that. So I knew this is where I needed to be. And I was there for about two and a half years and then got a job as an education coordinator at Head Start and the rest is history. And I started my master's degree after I'd been with Head Start for a little while because in the position I'm in, a master's degree is required. So it was kind of a goal in the end. That's good to to, know. Yeah. I I
1: think that's a fascinating. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to see that when the rubber met the road after academia, Mm -hmm. that it was the landscape that you hoped it would be. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. that the passion is there. You can feel it. It's mm-hmm. in the whole yes, room. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. indeed. <clears throat> so do you know the number of children we serve and how many classrooms we
2: have across our 10-county region? I do. So overall, between our infants and toddlers and preschool children, we serve 1,002 children wow. across our 10 counties. And then we currently have 38 direct operated preschool classrooms. Is
0: that Head Start and GSRP? That's
2: Head Start and GSRP. Okay. And then I had also our collaborative centers that we partner with and we have early Head Start direct operated. So we have many different ways to serve the children, but your question was about our preschool direct operated. So we have 38.
0: Awesome. Yeah. That's great.
1: That was a direct answer of that question. Thank you for making that official. It's staggering numbers and it's hard not to think about a thousand plus children, 38 classrooms, logistically what it looks like. And it's not just the two of you. You're both very altruistic. So there's teams. I don't want to assume, but it is a common thread. Is staffing an issue? And if it is, is it your biggest challenge?
2: I've been around for a little while and staffing was really never a challenge for us, you know, especially in the early days. We would get many applicants for the positions and over the years we've seen that go down a little bit, but with COVID, we absolutely have had a challenge with staffing. It is across the nation, you talk to any Head Start program, really many different areas are struggling with staffing, but For sure, the Head Start community is having some challenges with getting people to apply, and we need them. We need staff. We want to keep our classrooms open and our home visiting programs going. And so we have amazing staff looking at this challenge and trying to figure out unique ways to get out there in the communities and partner with as many different colleges and universities and job fairs that we can just to say we're here and we want to work with you and we'll provide support and education and and all
1: of that. So, Jen, would you say on that ground level that is the biggest challenge uh, in general or is there something else that either is the biggest challenge or could be the biggest challenge around the corner?
3: I do think that it's been hard. I've been lucky. My staff has been with me for about I have had one person with me for 10 years and another person with me for five years, so we're a pretty solid staff. I have two assistant teachers in my room, and so my staff is pretty solid, and they're amazing. My one staff member is retiring after this year, so I will be on the hunt for a new assistant teacher in my classroom. So I feel lucky in my corner of the world that I live in, in our agency, that I've had solid staff, but I know staffing is a big issue, and finding qualified staff to come in, I have a very high level of um, what I want to be in the room with me, educating the children in my center and in my classroom. And so I think finding people that want and have that same
0: passion is really important too. What is the qualification to be an assistant or even a lead teacher? Do you have that Mm -hmm. on hand?
2: Yeah, so it depends on which program. So with a Head Start program, The minimal requirement is an associate's in child development or related field. And then for the GSRP teachers, it is a bachelor's in early childhood or a teaching certificate with early childhood endorsement. And then for an associate teacher, assistant teacher, you need to have at least a CDA, which is a child development associate. It's a certification that you go through to get training hours and to show your professionalism for the field.
0: And you mentioned a little bit ago, we can help with pushing some people through education. So is that something that we can help with? If someone's listening and they're, they're interested in maybe being an
2: assistant or associate teacher, is that something that we can help them do that? We absolutely can. We provide that support and work with the TEACH program that's out of the state of Michigan, and they provide a lot of financial support to help us, and then we are there to help with what TEACH can't help with. So definitely there is the support, not only just working through all of the different steps in making all of this happen, but also that financial piece that we can reach out to other partners to help with it.
0: That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I want to take a step back because I just thought of a question while you guys were talking. We talked about the number of children we serve in the classrooms. Can you give us an estimated number of how many kids are in each class, or is it pretty
2: mm-hmm. varied? Yep, it's 16. 16. 16 kids. Okay. Yep. So we, have, we have a couple that are a little less than that, but it was just because of unique programming this year. Sure. But typically our classrooms have 16 and okay. are direct-operated.
0: I would say that's pretty hands-on teacher mm-hmm. to student. Mm-hmm. And they obviously, you had talked a lot about individuality, so that's probably really nice to have that you know one-on-one yeah. time.
1: When you look at what you do, what really strikes me is it's a big responsibility, and I'm not trying to put that on you. It's clear that you know. But what fascinates me is everybody can have an opinion on raising children, on what to do, especially when you have a child in a program and you're counting on them. How much do you look at data, and how much do you look at opinion, and how much of that drives what you do on the day-to-day?
2: Mm-hmm. So this is something that has really changed over the years with Head Start. We've always been required to look at data and collect it. But over the past, I would say like eight years, seven, eight years, we have really been expected to make that data come to life, to really look at it and make sure that we are purposefully planning for not only the children in the classroom, the teachers do assessments three or four times a year on the children. And then they look at that assessment make sure that they're individualizing and seeing where the children need that extra support. And then in working with the families, like you said, you went through that recruitment process and had to answer some questions on different maybe needs that the family has or whatever. And then we take that information and individualize for the family. We have lots of reports that we do on the data that we collect with families. We just created what we call a data postcard that our program is very proud of, showing all the numbers that are involved in um, making this program work and Showing the data of how we're making a difference for the families and right. children.
1: Mm-hmm. And Jen, for you, how does that translate to your world? Do you find you agree with that philosophy similarly, or do you have to improvise? Do you have to get jazzed in the field sometimes to make it work?
3: Well, I think we always get jazzed a little bit. But I think <laughs> for sure. also, like, one of my driving forces is. Putting it on the parents, too, so they know that they're always their children's number one teacher. Mm -hmm. We're just here to support them. So giving them the tools that they need to feel successful, too. Mm -hmm. We can only do so much in the classroom every day, and it's a lot, but also giving those tools to the parents and helping them. We have parent meetings and different things that we provide for parents so they can come in and get information During our home visits, we set goals with the parents. And so, really letting them know that they're their child's number one teacher. We do look at data a lot and we use it a lot. But also, when we are doing day to day, we go off what the children are interested in and building that, you know, building the data around that. Like if they're interested in dinosaurs or fruit or whatever they're interested in that time, you know we take that data, like we know that we're trying to implement math into that. So we implement math into learning about different dinosaurs or if we're doing fruit taste tests or something like that. That's how we implement that in there. So we always go off of what the children are interested in and then using, tying that data piece into
1: it. Well, that's fun. On another show, we talked about bringing movies into the learning environment and finding a way for that to tie in. Do you ever just have fun bringing pop culture into it do you feel like you can have fun because it is come join my classroom if you You want to see a fun classroom
3: (laughs) if you want to see a fun classroom you are invited to come see us in the fall. Seriously, one hundred percent.
1: I feel she's throwing down. Man. I like this is like we are. For real. We are
3: a fun classroom. We have a thirty-second dance party that we hit the button and we dance. Oh yeah, we have that's my dance. like thirty-second dance party. Oh yeah, we have a button. It plays like five different songs. It's a kids' job during the day. It's they a cardio know. situation. Yes, that's, it is. It is. Ca- it is cardio. We do a lot of dancing. We laugh. If you're not laughing in a preschool classroom, you're doing something wrong. Yes. And if you walk past my room, you will hear laughter. Teachers are crying laughing so hard sometimes um, <laughs> by what the kids are saying. So you have to have fun. Is Most importantly is having fun with these children you have to make learning fun you have to make the day fun because it can be a very long day 16 kids seem very manageable sometimes but again they're also individuals and you know need a lot of support and we all bring our own self into the day so you're dealing with a lot of adults with things and a lot of kids with things so bringing it always back to that child and making that learning fun so I hope I can see you in my classroom you can come join me and see how amazing our classrooms at NMCA are
0: I give you all the kudos to every teacher out there because you know, like I said, I have a four-year-old. He is tough sometimes. Yeah. Imagine sixteen, huh? and I yeah. can't even imagine.
1: I know 16. she said it. Like sixteen sounds manageable <laughs> I'm, inside. I I'm like, sweating <laughs> inside. It sounds manageable if you have zero kids, yeah. maybe in your life. Yeah. If you have one, you yeah. realize that. I amazing. love
3: what I do. I can say I wake up in the morning and I'm excited to go to work. I do love what I do. I love working for NMCA i've been there a long time i have no want to be anywhere else i believe in our mission i believe in our just taking families where they're at and building upon them it happened to me and so i believe we can do that to many different families Mm
2: -hmm.
3: yeah
0: yeah so i know that there's kindergarten readiness for example is there anything required for students as they walk into a Head Start or a GSRP class? Do they have to know how to be potty trained or do they have to be able to stand in line or no. any of those things?
2: No. no, great, great question. They don't have to have any, there's no prerequisite to go <laughs> to start in a classroom. We take children exactly where they are when they walk through that door. Like Jenna said many times, the individualizing that takes place. So they do not have to be potty trained. They do not have to know, you know, how to sit at a large group time or anything like that. We are there right from the beginning to teach them how to be a part of a school community, how to get along with other children, how to play. Sometimes the children come into the classroom when they really don't know how to play with toys. They haven't had many toys in their environment. And we teach them how to get on the floor and interact with materials and build and use their hands and We know that preschool children, in fact, all of us do, we learn through our five senses. And so the more we can engage them with their five senses, the more they're going to really internalize that learning. So yeah, any abilities are welcome. And we work with every single child. And
3: I say it, like a huge mission of mine is my husband is a kindergarten teacher in the community. And so we have many conversations about what's developmentally appropriate for our kids, even moving from preschool to kindergarten. <laughs> so we have many <laughs> throwdowns ourselves oh, about funny. like what's going to happen because you have the standard of these kids need to know all of the stuff. But is that really developmentally appropriate for a kindergartner to have to have to do some of the stuff that they need to do? And we have these conversations a lot. Well, they need to come in with this, this, and this. And I'm like, well, if you could have seen where they came in and what they're doing now, Mm -hmm. let's grow on that instead of saying we want them to be able to know all of their letters or tying their shoes or whatever. Like, We have to really look at each child and where they're coming from and then taking that on to kindergarten and Mm -hmm. hopefully changing that mindset a little bit.
1: Where were you when I was growing up?
3: Yeah. <laughs> growing up too. I was in team, I, I,
1: I was trying to wear my underoos on the outside. Yes. I was oh, yes. not seen as an individual. Yes. I was sent home.
3: Oh, oh. Not in my room. Yeah. So not in my room. I would have
0: been doing the same thing. Yeah.
1: So. I, I long for the fun yes. of what I'm hearing about yes. right now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think we need to take a field trip, Ryan. Yes. I do. I do. Go to Jen's classroom. Yes. Yes. I'm
1: fascinated at the home situation between you and your husband, yes. like out trying to fun each other. Yes. Like, my classroom's more fun. My classroom. fun. I think if you would
3: talk to him, he would tell you I have way more fun than him. So I do. Oh, good. Yes, okay, I do. Then he, he knows. He knows. So, he, so he he game knows, recognizes He knows game? his role. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He knows it. He knows it.
1: Is this an exciting question coming up? Because uh, this is one that you ask that I've been excited about the answer recently. Yeah.
0: So I have a question for both of you. You can answer it together or separately. Okay. If you had one wish for NMCAA's Child and Family Development Department, what would it be and why? We stumped him again, Ryan.
1: <laughs> it's solid gold, this um, one.
2: It's a really great question. and More um, time. You know, yeah. Mm. More time. More time. More time. There's so many different pieces and layers to our program and all the different ways that we work with children and families. You know, you think about the health piece, the nutrition, the doctors going to the doctor, going to the dentist. We have our children do all those pieces because we want... Healthy learners. We want children who are feeling well and ready to learn. And so, you know, there's different challenges that we have with finding dentists to do the appointments. So, you know, there's just so many different levels. Definitely staffing. Wish we had, you know, enough staff for everywhere. But one wish you said, Erica, one, that's all I get.
3: (laughs) Uh, More time
1: is interesting. Yeah,
2: Yeah, more time is
3: for
1: sure. And I
2: I would say it more time
3: with the children. Like, I sometimes like we were done with kids now. So last Tuesday was our last day. So we end a little bit earlier than the public schools. I wasn't ready to be done this year. And so more time even with the kids, more time on Fridays to get work done, more time to be able to interact
0: with families. I mean. More time. I feel like time as you grow older seems to go faster and faster. Sure, does. Um, I mean, my kids aren't in school yet, but I know like our neighbor kids. It's like they're already out of school. Like (laughs) they just started this grade. What do you mean? So yeah, I can.
3: I and I think that we can even say it more time for parents because I don't think parents understand. Drew and I both have older kids, Mm -hmm. and so to see. How fast time goes. My son turned twenty two yesterday. So it's like, where did that time go? Like yeah. seriously. Like yeah. you know, so even more time with parents to say, cherish the time that you have with your children yeah. now because it goes by so. Well you're fast. saying it now. You mm-hmm. could go ahead,
1: there's a platform. Yeah. yeah. You know, cherish spend the time. Cherish your time, seriously One hundred
3: percent. Every second I even yeah. the the hard times cherish yeah. it cherish. because that time it's fading
2: fading. It goes by very fast. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so I had a couple seconds to think about your question, and I think my answer would be one wish is that every child could go through the Head Start GSRP program. I love that answer. Yeah.
1: Is there a solution that's probable there? Funding. Funding. (laughs) Okay. So So we only
2: receive funding for a certain amount of children, so we can't serve every single child. So funding absolutely is what we need, and then every child could experience going through – our program. And that yeah. would be my biggest wish.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I, unfortunately, but also fortunately, I, my son hasn't qualified yet. And I'm like, man, I, I wish I could just get him in there. Cause I know he'd be so great with the social aspect and the, you know, learning the things and standing in line, like he's in T-ball <laughs> right now and he doesn't know how to stand in line. And I'm like, get in line, child. <laughs> but you know, like just the simple things that they learn. And it's, yeah. I wish that all kids could also go to Head Start or GSRP yeah. and It's so, so good for them. And I mean, Mm. I think even
3: one of the things that is hard for teachers is our family-style meals. We eat as a family three times a day. We have breakfast, lunch, and snack every day. And to me, that's always been the most important of my day with my own kids is eating as a family. So giving these children the opportunity to sit at a table and pass food around and talk about the different food that we have. And just that community piece that you're teaching the children that is so imperative part of our program that I don't think we talk a lot about but mm-hmm. it's actually one of my favorite parts of the day is breakfast and lunch and being together and having those time that I time love, together I mm-hmm. love that yeah. I didn't
0: I didn't realize that you as a class sat together and ate that's amazing Are
1: those theories one one thing that that you said that really stood out to me and I'm just going to point it out is um seeing a child react differently to a surplus of toys, Mm -hmm. which shines a light on the fact that there's disparity in our communities, right? So are you finding mealtime as another area where you're seeing the differences where these students may be at home?
3: Yeah, kids behave different when they're hungry. We all behave different when we're hungry, you know, and so the first thing we do is we eat breakfast right when we come in in the morning. We sit together, we talk together. Some of our most Rich conversations come at mealtimes, talking about what happened the night before. We talk about pets or whatever conversation comes up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely making sure that the kids already have enough food in them during the day because that gives them the energy to learn. But and yeah. would it
1: be true that some of them don't have enough food at home sometimes and this mm-hmm. is a supplement yeah. for their lives? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, with that, those conversations that happen during mealtime, it is a beautiful time of day. Also just teaching them how to pass food, take turns, Mm -hmm. um, using utensils and setting their own little place, you know, where they're going to sit with their plate and their spoon and fork. So there's just so much learning that takes place. life skills. Life skills, exactly. And that was one of the pieces of Head Start is teaching the children those life skills that they'll take with them forever.
1: If you could have any celebrity endorser for this program, <laughs> a lot of organizations have celebrity, who would be your optimal question. celebrity endorser for Head Start? And I know it's tough because everybody's got dirt, but let's just pretend.
2: Well, you know, I'm saying this because she's so popular right now, Taylor Swift. Like to have her endorse our program, she's with that younger community, and a lot of our families are younger. She could make a big difference for us, I would say. And I think,
3: yeah, I I, I agree with Drew. I think Taylor, I love her music, and I think (laughs) I I (laughs) (laughs) I (laughs) 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 would (laughs) like. Okay, we're just putting that out there (laughs) into (laughs) the universe.
1: Yeah. Come dance. Come dance. 30-second (laughs) dance party. Taylor Swift, okay, write that song, Taylor Swift, thirty-second dance party for Head Start and MCAA.
2: Yes, you know the program speaks for itself. So once a family gets into the program, they're hooked. And um, so just to have a celebrity that's popular that will get the attention, I think that's what we would need. Yeah, that's cool.
1: One thing that really stands out is the connection that a guest has when they start their journey with an MCAA. It's been said many times, you can call us. Guests have said, you can call me and said their personal phone numbers out there. And I believe that you will answer. I'm looking at both of you and believe that you will answer. Mm-hmm. So let's say somebody has a young child and they're interested in applying for one of the programs. How do they get in touch? Where do, Where's that first start? Because I don't think we can not say that enough. Mm-hmm. Where do they start?
2: Yep. So they just go to our website, nmcaa.net. And on that homepage, they're just going to scroll down a little bit, go to the early childhood programs, click on apply here, and you start filling out that pre-application. And there's, you know, a little informational area in there, a little flyer that tells you a little bit more about the program, just in case you have any initial questions. And then start that pre-application and you'll be called for an appointment to come in and meet with one of those recruitment and health specialists and go through all the pieces of signing up. But again, If you have any questions or any apprehension or need any assistance, on the bottom of our webpage are our office numbers. We have an office in Traverse City, one in Petoskey, and one in Cadillac. And so there are 800 numbers that you can call and just say you're needing some assistance and a staff will help.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much.
1: Drew, Jen, it was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for your time today. And to our listeners, please consider hitting the like, follow, subscribe button, or leave us a comment or review. It all helps continue to spread the word about the wonderful things NMCAA is doing and does to benefit our amazing community.
0: Thank you to our guests today, and thanks, Ryan. If you have a story you'd like to share about how NMCAA has impacted your life, send us an email at collectiveuspodcast at nmcaa.net. Join us next time as we discuss National Homeownership Month. If you'd like to learn more about Northwest Michigan Community Action Agency or the programs we offer, or would like to make a donation, we encourage you to reach out at 231-947-3780 or visit our website, nmcaa.net. And to our listeners today, we encourage you to continue to strive each day to do something to help yourself or your neighbors.